Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Howdy! Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Great to come off another win. I, I I don't understand, people. We win another game, and, and I hear this, well, I don't like the way that we won. I, I, wish, <laughs> I wish we were more dominant as a people, and I'm uh, just like, calm down, people, calm down. A win is a win, and that is a great thing. So, so y'all excited about a good another win from A&M? That is what I'm talking about. Hey, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read a couple verses for us. We are starting a new series right now entitled, What Do You Believe? What Do You Believe? And so I'm going to read it, a couple verses for us, and then jump into our topic for this morning. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. As you're flipping there, my name is Kevin Barris. So if I haven't met you before, uh, Good to meet you. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and I'm so glad you are here with us this morning. All right, Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you for this opportunity to talk about what we believe, Uh, and not in a way that is uh, disrespectful to other beliefs, but, but in a way that we can understand more clearly as, as Christians, what actually are we saying that we believe about Jesus Christ? And, and there's also other people in the room that are, that are trying to figure out what they believe, trying to understand a little more clearly uh, what Christians believe and, and, and understand more clearly what they personally believe. So I, I pray that this morning would be an opportunity for us to, to establish us as believers, but also to open up the door for a conversation to those who are still trying to figure out who you are. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in this place and enlighten us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, several years ago, I was uh, changing my car battery. And I am not good mechanically. I'm not mechanically inclined in any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, and so I asked a friend of mine to loan me his tools. And so he had a ratchet set. But the problem with the ratchet set was this. It had heads on the ratchets that were entirely too long to, to get in there and, and change the battery the way I needed to. But I, once again, I'm not mechanically inclined. And so I just decided to go for it, right? And so I take these ratchets and I go to the battery and I start kind of unratcheting uh, the bolts that are holding the battery uh, to the car. And so I'm, as I'm doing it, all of a sudden, the angle is such that the edge of the ratchet is hitting a piece of metal and the battery, and suddenly a spark flies, to which I go, oh no. But then I, I'm like, not to be swayed, I'm like, okay, I'll just keep on going, and I start continuing to go, and, and I see more sparks flying at, as I'm continuing to go along. I'm like, this isn't good. And, and then I feel the ratchet starting to get hot, and I'm like, oh no, this is really not good. And so I pull back, 
by this point saying, okay, I can't touch the ratchet anymore because it started to get hot. Conduction, right? You learn that later on. So it's, it's getting hot. And, and, and I see sparks continuing to, to fly as I'm, as I'm sitting there trying to unratchet this thing. So, so sparks are flying. The ratchet's stuck. I can't touch it. I don't want to get electrocuted, and it's hot. And, and so I'm going, what am I going to do now? And, and as I'm sitting back there contemplating my options, suddenly the battery catches on fire. Oh, no. Uh, I'm also in the church parking lot. Lots of cars beside me. You know, and, and, and it starts burning there and, and I go, oh, crud. And so I run inside and immediately I, I see one of the staff people there. I'm like, hey, her name's Rhonda Sims. I go, Rhonda, my car is on fire. Do you have a fire extinguisher? She goes right there. And I grab the fire extinguisher. I run back out to the car. I look at it on fire and I start extinguishing it, right? Going as hard as I can, spraying everything I can. And then suddenly the fire dies down. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. And I sit there contemplating, okay, what am I going to do now? And I look at the ratchet. And by this point, the ratchet is welded to the battery. Oh, no. And so I step back and think about, okay, how am I going to unweld this ratchet to the battery that is now soldered to the engine? I'm going, what am I going to do here? And at that point, the engine catches on fire again. I empty the rest of the fire extinguisher on my car, and finally the fire dies out. By that time, uh, the battery had melted, and uh, the little tip had melted into the battery, and the ratchet was free. I got a rag, and I pried the ratchet off of the battery. And I look at this moment, and I go, what was the problem here? (laughs) Simply, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had all the right tools, right? Like I had all the right pieces, but I had no idea how they fit together. And the end result was I was just making a mess of everything that I touched. Now, why do I start there? For this simple reason. If you have grown up in church, it typically means you have a wealth of information, You have tons of ammo, tons of Bible verses you've memorized. Some of you were in Awanas growing up, and so you've got sword drills and and all different things that you know about the Bible. But when it comes to a conversation with someone who doesn't believe the things that you believe, sometimes you can actually get stuck. I mean, you you start with a, a statement like, well, the Bible says, and then that person lobs back at you, well, I don't believe in the Bible. And then you're paralyzed. You're like, um... Um, and you're in this conversation, you're like, I don't even know where to go from here. And, and you're in this moment, and I think, I think the challenge for some of us as believers is, is we have the information, but we feel unequipped in how to use the information in an actual conversation. And because we feel unequipped, what ends up happening is, is whenever that, that conversation comes, when that, that atheist or agnostic or person from another faith comes with, with legitimate questions and, and they, they have questions about who Jesus is or, or what Christians believe, you, you can kind of give the basic answers, but, but it's, it's really on a surface level. And because we feel unequipped, what ends up happening is that we end up being unengaged. We, we don't want to get in that conversation because either we don't want to get in an argument or we just don't want to be made f- to be, feel like we're stupid. You know, we, don't, we just don't want to feel like we don't have the answers to our faith. And, and I think that's a very real challenge for, for all of us. And so what I want to really do over these next four weeks is equip us. For the Christian, my goal over the next four weeks is to give you the tools so it doesn't feel like you're burning your car down. So you actually know how to use the tools to engage in a conversation. 
But there's also a second group in the room. The, the second group in the room is this. Or it's people that are trying to figure out what they actually believe. Maybe they come from a different faith background, or maybe they're atheists or agnostic in the room. And, and for those of you in that camp, you're just trying to figure out, what do you Christians believe in? And is there good evidence to support the basis of your faith? And, and for those of you that are just struggling with, with or just wondering about what Christians believe, I want to show you that the Bible and, and, in fact, Christianity has some great resources to help you understand and equip you to actually engage with the person of Jesus Christ historically. And so this morning, the, the talk, the, the sermon portion, is going to be a little bit different than normal. Um, it's going to be more, more teaching than preaching in flavor. It's going to be more information to, to think about and process, and a little less inspiration. Hopefully I'll get a little inspiration on the tail end of it. But I'm going to start out by giving us a, a framework How do you understand what your faith is, and do you feel equipped to engage with others on on the issues of the Bible and the historicity, in particular, of the person of Jesus Christ? Can you defend what you believe? And I want to give you some resources to do that. And to jump us off, I want to start in Matthew chapter 16, because the, the challenge is this. People throughout history have all had questions about who Jesus was. In fact, there's a moment right here in the Gospels where Jesus is with his disciples and he pulls them away to Caesarea Philippi. And that's a region probably about 20 miles from, from Galilee. So it's kind of in a, a, an area that is kind of, um, kind of away from his major ministry. And in that moment, he sits his disciples down in this remote area and says, I want to ask you a question, boys. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who, as you talk with people in culture, who do they believe that I am? And they say, well, some say Elijah, so like a prophet of old. Some say John the Baptist, so, you know, your cousin's John the Baptist, so maybe you're, maybe you're that guy reincarnate. John the Baptist had already been dead at this point in time, and so maybe you're John the Baptist who rose from the dead, I don't know. Maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, and, and all of these distorted images all center on, maybe you are a prophet, maybe you are a good person. And all of them are centered on, on those two ideas. And then Jesus turns the coin on him and he says, you. And it's almost like Jesus asked the first question to get to the second question. You. Who do you say that I am? And that's the most important question you can answer for yourself. Who do you believe that the Son of Man is? And the challenge really is this. Can we actually defend who Jesus was in history? Did Jesus even exist. See, I think in our modern culture, we're not asking, are you a, are you a prophet? Are you uh, maybe a good person? I, I think some of us are even asking a deeper, more fundamental question. Can you even prove that Jesus was real? And that's an important question. Was Jesus actually real in history? Before we debate whether or not he was a prophet or just a good person, did he even exist in history? Now, the cool part is this. We have an abundance of resources proving this exact question. And now, here's a couple frameworks that I want to give you. One one book is this. Um, It's by Daryl Bach. He's a Christian um, author. He wrote this book called Studying the Historical Jesus. And he gives us great resources. I'm going to quote tons of the resources that he gives us um, from this book. And he is a believer. He's a prof over at Dallas Theological Seminary. But there's a second book I'm going to use to prove the existence of Jesus, and it's not from a Christian. 
Bart Ehrman wrote the book, Does Jesus Exist? He's a New Testament professor at UNC, uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And, and he actually is not a Christian. He is an avowed atheist. And this avowed atheist, a New Testament scholar, actually defends the historicity, the fact that Jesus actually was real in history. And so I think that's so helpful. So I'm going to give us um, a Christian perspective, but as well a, a historian who's, a, who's not a believer. To answer the question, did Jesus exist? I hear that someone asked the question uh, to F.B. FB Bruce. It says this, What collateral proof is there in the existence of the historical fact of the life of Jesus Christ? If the Bible account of his life is accurate, it should have cause for sufficient interest to gain considerable comment in other histories and records of the time. But in fact, I am told, so this questioner says this, Apart from obscure references in Josephus and the like, no mention is made. So the question is this, do we actually have proof outside of the Bible that Jesus actually existed in history? Is there any evidence that Jesus actually was real? And some, some people go even further to say, no, there, there's just a myth of Jesus. There's one book written by um, D.M. Murdoch, her, her pseudonym is uh, Akara S., um, and she wrote this book, The Christ Conspiracy. Well, what's so interesting, her premise is this. The basic argument of the book, Bart Ehrman summarizes this way. The basic argument of the book is that Jesus is the Son God. Thus, the Son of God is the Son God. Get it? Son God. Okay, that's Bart Ehrman's humor. They says stories about Jesus are actually based on, on myths. And so that's one argument that this woman makes in her book, that Jesus actually is just based on myths historically. Some of you even heard that hypothesis levied. So is it true? Is he a myth? Can we even prove Jesus historically? Here's what Bart Ehrman, an atheist or agnostic, leaning atheist, says. All of Akira's major points are, in fact, wrong. Jesus was not invented in Alexandria and Egypt in the middle of the second century. He was known already in the 30s of the first century in Jewish circles in Palestine. Now, just to get your mind around the history of this, Jesus was probably born around between uh, 6 BCE and 3 um, CE, or Common Era. He was dead by probably around 30 to 33 AD. And what Bart Ehrman is saying, Jesus was already well known by 30 CE. But the challenge is this, can we prove that? Can we prove that Jesus actually existed in history? I'll give you six references. You ready? Six references historically that prove that Jesus existed all outside of the Bible. Y'all ready for this? First one is this, and I'm sure you've already read it, so this will be easy information for you. It's Suetonius. Hmm, Kevin, I thought you were, I was hoping you'd bring up Suetonius. Well, I did. Suetonius, he wrote around A.D. 120. Now think about it, Jesus died around A.D. 33. He wrote several years after him. But he was this, uh, he wrote this of, of the Emperor Claudius, who was alive around 54 CE. So just 20 years after Jesus died, he's writing about something that Claudius did. Suetonius was an authority in Rome, and he was trying to get the answer to the question, what do we do with these Christians that have come up? What do we do with them? And he quotes from Claudius, who was alive around 54 AD, about how they dealt with the Christians. He said this, He, that's Claudius, expelled the Jews from Rome on account of the riots in which they were constantly indulging at the instigation of Crestus. 
Now, Christus is a, is a term that's a misunderstanding of Christ, but it's, a, it's based on a, a, an argument they would say against Christians. They called them little Christies, Christians. And they say, he says, referencing Claudius, these, these people have already been around from as early as 54 AD. These people were already in existence. So we got one reference talking about Christians. Um, what's the point of this? That he's already referencing these early Christians. There's a second one I'm going to give you. It's Tacticus. He wrote in his Annals. He's also another Roman historian. He writes this. Therefore disquelched the rumor that Nero Nero created scapegoats and subjected the most refined tortures on those common people called Christians. A group hated for their abominable crimes. The author of this named Christ during the reign of Tiberius had been executed by the persecutor Pontius Pilate. So here's what he's saying. In 64 AD, when Tacticus Tacticus is writing, just 30 years after the death of Jesus, he's saying these Christians believe in Jesus and they're willing to die. And Nero, because they're so popular, Nero needs a scapegoat. He's targeting Christians. This group is already so popular by 64 AD, they're the target of Nero's attacks. Tacticus referencing this. Got another one. Pliny the younger, not the older, the younger, all right? He was alive between A.D. 98 and 117. He says this of description of, of the Christians. He actually describes their worship. He says that was their habit. On a fixed day to assemble before daylight, recite by turns of uh, forms of words of Christ as a God, that they bound themselves with an oath, not for any crime, um, but do they commit near theft or robbery or adultery, nor to break their word and not to deny a deposit of demand. They were literally, he's talking about what these Christians believed and what they did early on, 50 years, roughly 50 years after Jesus' death. We got another one, Thallus. Thallus wrote around AD 52, about 20 years after Jesus died. And he wrote basically kind of about the resurrection of Jesus. Thallus wrote that there was a, a, apparently at one point a, um, an earthquake and that the sun was blocked. And he tried to explain why the sun was blocked. Why was there an eclipse of the sun that's recorded in the Gospels? And Phallus writes, well, it was probably just uh, an eclipse, a solar eclipse. Julius Africanus was a Christian who wrote in 170 AD, wrote of Phallus a defense saying, actually, his argument doesn't hold water. And so the point is not whether or not his argument holds water. The point is this. Thallus, in AD 52, is already well aware of the person of Jesus and is writing a way to explain away the activities that the Christians are claiming only 20 years after Jesus is died. So there are indeed more references to the person of Jesus Christ. Here's another one, another non-Christian. Marabar Sarpion. You know, you're familiar with her? Yeah, she's... It's actually him. But Mar sounds like a girl's name to me. <laughs> and what basically this person does is, is lines up a lot of historical figures around AD 73, so about 40 years after Jesus died. He writes this, What good did it do for the Athenians to kill Socrates? So the point is, when the Athenians kill Socrates, no good. For the deed which they were punished with famine and pestilence, saying they suffered for killing Socrates. But he draws a comparison. What did it avail the Simeans to burn Pythagoras since the country was entirely buried under the sand for a moment? So what good was it to kill that person? No good. It was was no good to do that. Or what did it avail the Jews to kill their wise king? 
40 years after the death of Jesus, this philosopher, who's not even from the region, is now writing about the beliefs that, the, that Christians held since their kingdom was taken away from, from far on. Now, all of these are, are references to Christian activities. All of these are references to the beliefs of the Christians from early on, 20 to 30 years uh, removed from the life and death of Jesus. So, pretty close historically. And then the one that's the, the most quoted, the most famous, is also from Josephus. And he writes this. He was a Jewish historian paid by Rome to, to tell about the history of the Jews. And he writes this. Now, there was at that time... Jesus, a wise man, it is, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of surprising works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian paid by Rome to write the histories of the Jewish people, says this of Jesus. He be- they believed him to be the Christ, the anointed one coming. So the, the simple question to answer is this. Did Jesus exist? Can we prove that Jesus existed? Yes. Here are six references from, from early on that all reference to the, the group of Christians, but also even to the person of Jesus Christ. He really did exist. And if he was real, then he's a really big deal. Can we know anything more than that? Can we just know that Jesus existed in history? Can we actually know anything more about the writings or the sayings of Jesus? Was he real? Now, I'm going to give you the answer to this argument in, in three challenges. And I want to show you how Bart Ehrman, an atheist, responds to these three challenges. Can we actually believe the gospel accounts? The answer from Bart Ehrman is yes. Let me prove it to you in three steps. And once again, Ehrman is an atheist writing that the gospel accounts are reliable. So here's the first challenge. The gospels are forged hundreds of years after the events they narrate. One challenge of the gospels, the Bible in your hand, is that that these were were forged documents hundreds of years removed from the actual events. Here's what Ehrman says. In fact, the gospels were written at the end of the first century. Within 35 to 60 years after Jesus' death. He's saying the Gospels were written so close to the events, they were not forged hundreds of years later. A second challenge. We have no manuscript of the New Testament that dates prior to the 4th century. So a good 500 years after the events of the Gospels. Airman responds, that's just plain wrong. We have numerous fragments and manuscripts that date from the 2nd and 3rd centuries. We've got literally thousands of copies of this scripture. So it's not like we had one copy that got disseminated or that all of them were burned at some point in time. He says literally we've got thousands of copies all around the ancient world that we can compare the writings of these. The third challenge. It took well over a thousand years to canonize the New Testament, and many councils were needed to differentiate the inspired from the spurious books. The Da Vinci Code, other arguments have said that the Bible isn't actually real. It's, been, it's gone through so many revisions through history. Here's what Ehrman says. Actually, the first author to list the canon of our New Testament was the church father Athanasius around 367. The comment about many councils is simply made up. 
The atheist New Testament historian is saying what of the Gospels? He's not saying he believes that the information is true regarding the person of Jesus, but he is saying this. It is accurate. When you look at the Bible in your hand, even atheistic New Testament scholars are saying you can, you can look at the viability of this. You can look at the text of Scripture and actually be confident that it's one, accurately preserved, and two, accurately reflected the beliefs of the early followers of Jesus. So was Jesus real? You bet. We have lots of confirmation that he was actually a real person in history, a significant figure. Do we have an accurate preservation of what he believed and taught? You bet we do. Even atheistic scholars, agnostic scholars are confirming, yes, the Bible is accurate. It, is, it accurately reflects what these people really believed. So what now? So what now? Let me give you this. If Jesus was real, then he was a really big deal. And he is worth your investigation. H.G. Wells, a historian, he writes this. I'm a historian, I'm not a believer. But I must confess that as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocable, the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. An atheist historian saying, as I look at all of the, the, this person is the center of it all. He's the very center of history, and the reason that's so significant is because what you believe about Jesus is the most important decision you'll ever make in life. Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And there's all these distorted pictures, and then he says, you. But who do you say that I am? And Peter's the only one that pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do these first century Jews believe about Jesus? They believed that he was the Messiah. That means the king that would come to rescue the Jews and usher in complete freedom. They believed that he was the messianic king that would come. Now they thought that he was going to come militarily, but he didn't. He went to the cross. He died in our place for our sins. And when he died on the cross, all of his disciples scattered. And then when he rose from the dead, and it was only when Jesus rose from the dead... That he appeared to his disciples. They were abandoning him. But when he rose from the dead, he says, Boys, I told you this was going to happen. And at that moment, after the resurrection, all of these men turned from their Jewish beliefs, their Jewish background, and turned to Jesus and said, Not only are you the Messiah we expected, you are God. One of the disciples literally hit his knees, Thomas, and said, My God my Lord and my God, to Jesus. For a first century Jew that believed no person could be God, to say that a person was God was radical. And the world has never been the same since the life that this man lived. You realize we number our days based on the life that this man lived. We call it 2018 because of this man's mark in history. All that to say, he is worth your investigation. So if you're a Christian, what do do you do with this? Is there good reason to believe that Jesus was real? You bet. You can get this entire PowerPoint at our website at grace-bible.org later on to talk about it. 
For those of you, do you believe that the Bible is accurately preserved? Yeah, it was not a bunch of made-up stories. You can actually show the fact that this is actually accurately preserved from early on. And for those of you that are wondering about, was Jesus, is he worth investigating? Yes. He is the center of history, and he is worth your time. So my challenge to you is this. If you're a Christian, who can you share this with? Who can you talk to about the person of Jesus? And if, you are, if you're trying to investigate whether or not Christianity is true, my challenge to you is this. Start with the Gospels. Maybe go to those two books that I referenced, one from a believer and non-believer, and say, will you actually investigate the person of Jesus Christ? Was Jesus real? What do you believe? You bet he was. He's the center of history, and he is worth your utmost investigation. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much that you have given us your word. And Lord, I thank you that not only have you given us your word, you've given us people in history that have looked at the person of Jesus Christ, that had investigated the reality of who he was and what he did in history. And Lord, I pray that we could be people that not merely look at the surface of our beliefs, but dig deeper to know that we can actually support our beliefs of Scripture. To know that Jesus was true. He was alive in history. And he is worth investigating. So Lord, I pray that we are encouraged as believers. And God, if we're trying to figure out who Jesus is, we would, we would investigate the challenge. It's in your name we pray. Amen.